coming in. I'm going to start out in Psalm 17. Psalms, Psalm 17. Lord, consider my just cause and pay attention to my cry for help. Listen to the prayer I sincerely offer and make a just decision on my behalf. Decide what is right. You have scrutinized my inner motives. You examined me during the night. You have carefully evaluated me, but you find no sin. I am determined and I will say nothing sinful. As for the actions of people, just as you commanded, I have not followed in the footsteps of violent men. I carefully obey your commands and I do not deviate from them. I call to you for you will answer me, O God, and listen to me. Hear what I say. Lord, we ask you this morning to accomplish awesome and faithful deeds. You who powerfully deliver those who look to you from, for protection from their enemies. Protect us as you would protect the pupil of your eye. Hide me. Lord, hide us in the shadow of your wings and protect us from the wicked men who attack us. My enemy who crowds all around me for the kill. They're callous. They speak arrogantly. They attack us. Now they surround us. They intend to throw us to the ground. He is like a lion that wants to tear its fist. It's like a young lion crouching in hidden places. Rise up, O Lord. Confront him and knock him down and use your sword to rescue us from the wicked men. Lord, use your power to deliver us from these murderers, from the murderers of this world. For that, they may enjoy prosperity and you may overwhelm them with the riches they desire. And they may have many children and leave their wealth to their offspring. But as for me, and as for us, because I am innocent, I will see your face. Listen, we have to realize the righteousness of the man, Jesus Christ, that his righteousness is greater than our own, and we take his righteousness this morning. I proclaim your righteousness, Lord, from every generation to generation, that your righteousness is pure, and your righteousness is holy. And it's in this way that I will see your face. And when I awake, Lord, wake up the church. Wake up a global move of your spirit, Lord. That when we wake up, we will see you yourself to us. Amen.
am a child of God, set apart, consecrated, part of the royal family. I've got the blood of Christ flowing through my veins. Oh, I believe it. 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 I'm not a slave to sin anymore. No, I've been set free. I've been set free.
midst of struggle. Oh, praise, oh, praise in the midst of a storm.
forgive and you throw away all my sin
chapter 9 verse 1 wisdom has built her house she has carved out its seven pillars she has prepared her meat she has mixed her wine she has also arranged her table. She has sent out her female servants and she calls out to the highest palaces of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And she says to those, lack understanding come eat come eat come eat this morning come eat come eat from the table of wisdom come eat Understanding from you this morning. Lord, we need the food that you dine with. Shift our culture, Lord. 
anybody in here have an issue with um, uh, jaundice at all? Anybody? Anybody an issue jaundice? Okay. A number of weeks ago, well, it's been a couple months ago, my dad wanted me to tell this because this happened to him. Uh, we were up here and we were worshiping the Lord and the Lord called out a gallbladder issue. And I'm like, who would know that? Come to find out, Dad had two, a six millimeter and a seven millimeter stone that had been like, I believe it had been viewed through whatever they use an MRI. Is that right, Tom? Whatever, to look at like a, well, Dad had to go to the doctor, you know, recently and have surgery. They run the scan on him again. And I don't think you can just get seven millimeter, 10, six millimeter stones out of your gallbladder, but there's nothing there. And I thought, that, I thought that was like an odd thing to say, you know, gallbladder. But the Lord tells me this morning, he's like, there's a jaundice issue. And I'm not putting anything on you, but I just want to pray for healing because I don't know where that could be or what that issue is in this room. But in the name of Jesus, we proclaim no disease, no disease, no disease, Lord, known to man. We proclaim your anointing and your healing this morning. It's as simple as that. Jesus, you're the great healer. Like we trust you, Lord. No jaundice in this room. No presentation of the entry of jaundice in this room. Because where the kingdom of heaven is, and the kingdom of God is here now, there's healing. I'm going to speak this because is this something else that we couldn't know except by divine revelation? Maybe. You know what an aneurysm is? I don't. It's a very dangerous thing, I think, right? In the name of Jesus, anything that can lead to whatever an aneurysm is, I pray in the name of Jesus that you bring healing to whoever it is right now. What is an aneurysm? A what? A brain injury, hemorrhagic artery. Okay, something that forms in the artery. It weakens the artery wall. Stretches. Lord, in the name of Jesus, aneurysms. Any aneurysm in this room, I pray you would heal the artery walls, Lord, right now so that blood can flow and wouldn't create a hemorrhage. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim your healing right now. Lord, you're the great healer, Lord. If someone wouldn't hemorrhage or have an explosion in an artery, Lord, you would maintain our life, Lord, because no one's life, Lord, to be cut short. Jesus, Lord, bring healing right now for right knees in this room. 
Lord, you can build new cartilage. You make cartilage. And I pray right now that where there's an issue, where there's pain, where cartilage has been uh, wore out over time, I ask you, Holy Spirit, right now, just release cartilage into the joint or where there's pain, persistent pain. In the name of Jesus, do what only you can do. You proclaim your kingdom is at hand. Your kingdom is here right now. In the city of God, where blood and water flow, knee will not be out, that we will run a good race. Behold, I make all things new. Lord can do creative miracles and make everything new, even now. I'm a new creature. says this as well. I want to I heal all myopia in this room. Listen to this. It's an eye disorder where light focuses in the front of instead of on the retina. 
It causes distant objects to appear blurry while closer objects appear normal. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. He was looking forward. You see the connection? If you have myopia, you can't look forward because you're nearsighted. This is a spiritual reality right now. John 17, it says, and Jesus had finished speaking, he looked up. When Jesus fed the 5,000, it says that he, looking up, what? To heaven. He said he prayed and he gave thanks, right? He fed everybody out of a little boy's box lunch. Because he was looking forward. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says he looked where? To the joy that was what? Set before him. In Genesis chapter number 13. Remember Abram and Lot? It said that. Lot looked at the land, all that was around him. But it says something different about Abram. It said he looked up. The Lord wants to heal our myopia. Psalms chapter 13, I believe it says, Lord, heal my eyes, something to this effect, lest I sleep the sleep of death. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, it says that when, it says when David and his army came in to take out the Jebusite stronghold, it said the blind and the lame will keep you from coming in here. Blindness is a lack of vision. Lameness is a lack of provision. And it says they were hated of David's soul. He hated all lameness and he hated all blindness. Why? Because he didn't want to be nearsighted. They said your nearsightedness and your lack of provision will keep you from coming in here. David had an orientation that was from heaven. His eyes were open to the heavens and he believed what heaven said.
because he could see an ascension, Joab could go into a descension. Remember, as it says, Joab went up the gutter chute. That was the sewer pipe. Another example, John chapter 13. It says, Jesus knew that he came from God or from the Father, and he was going back to the Father. He had an understanding of predestination and election, that he really was the Father's. He knew that he came from the Father and he was going back to the Father. And it says about the Lord that he girded himself with a towel and he washed his disciples' feet. You can never be oriented right to the earth if you're not oriented to heaven. It will never work. Your orientation must be of the heavens. And it requires that God would take off the myopia of our eyes because our perception and the nearsighted way would always keep us from viewing what is heaven saying. And everything is coming against this area of your life and my life. It's trying to give us a perception that doesn't come from heaven. Oh, that the Lord would wash the scales off our eyes. Even the zeal of Saul who became Paul. He was so zealous for the Lord. Tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee of Pharisees, no doubt, saying that he kept every one of the 600 and what, 13 walls. What an amazing man. What had to happen to him? He had to be blinded so that he could see. And so was we. The road to Emmaus. The very own disciples of the Lord grieving that he had died. And he was, on, he was right there beside him. And he began to speak and it says, their minds, their eyes were open. Yes, yeah, see all the view of this. You can see it all throughout the text everywhere. It's all over the, the word. It's everywhere. I want to be healed of my own perception. I don't want my perception to rule me in the day. I don't want my perception to rule me when I leave here. I don't want my perception to rule me in regards to others. Jesus, we want your perception. I want what you say and what you think, and I want that to so pervade my own consciousness and my own thinking. That I can see what you see and say what you say. bring clarity now let what has blinded us bring clarity Spiritual work right now. Ask 
asking him for this, asking for this reality. I'm tired of viewing things the way I view things. I want you, Lord. I want this so much from you. I want it every day in my life. You just ask him. He'll come to you if you ask him because he's a gentleman. You have to ask him. Lord, wash myopia off my eye. Take my nearsightedness off, Lord. Help me to call those things which are not as though they are. Bring heaven to earth in my life, Lord. I'm speaking to someone in this room, but I don't know who it is exactly. But hear this word. Um, this isn't a general word. This is a specific word. But, um, and it may apply to more than one person, but I'm not sure. But you know the story of Samson and what happened to him. Um, Nazarite from birth, right? Consecrated to the Lord. Given over to the Lord. His, uh, his daddy was at Elkanah. And his mama, they had a visitation of an angel that consecrated him to the Lord. He was the Lord's. And you know, he was given some prohibitions because number six gives you the rules of a Nazarite. The rules of a Nazarite are you're not allowed to touch a dead body. 
You're not allowed to eat of the grape or the seed of a grape or the fruit of the vine. And third, you're not allowed to cut your hair, shorn your hair, I think, around your neck and down. And, and as you know, I mean, everybody knows the story of Samson and Delilah. Samson let someone else's perception because he had a longing and a desire to take him out of the will of God. And he moved himself out of the will of God because, I mean, we could say about Samson that you're just pretentious, Samson. You know, you want to be like the guy with the dreads, you know. You want to be the guy that looks like that because that's a really cool look, Samson. And you're really sort of into your figure. You really like being super muscular. You know, sometimes we can let other people's opinion of us weigh more in on us than what God says to us. God gives you a word and he says stand in this word because this word is what I say over you and someone can say you're trying to be something that you're not I see through you I see what you really are and then the testimony of the Lord is coming to you and saying no 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 now you must you must do this, but but, but it, this may be the very thing that puts a stigma on you, the very thing that God says to you. What well, we think that God wouldn't place you into a place of stigma in your life? You, what do you think about being a, a virgin, not a spouse to a husband? having a baby who's ever heard of such a thing what about a man who's building an ark and it's never rained on the earth what about a man who says he's God but he's a carpenter from Nazareth what about a man that's like all these sheaves are going to bow down to me and now he's in a prison but then becomes the second most powerful in the entire nation of Egypt that God would not uh, put something on your life that made you stand out <laughs> and might would be a stigma that you would have to bear do you think maybe that God is after getting you out of self-awareness and into his awareness do you think that he's trying to get you out of your own self-consciousness and into a God consciousness? Anybody? I mean, I know, I bet you everybody in here has had to do something off the wall for the Lord. I bet you if you know the Lord. This is the interesting thing that I've found about him. If you want his presence, he's not mean like this. You have to embrace who he is in you. 
want to see the movement of power in your life, you must embrace the I am in you. Why? God wants to take I out of you and put I am in you. One day I was sitting on the edge of a bench. I was sitting on the edge of a bench and the Lord said this to me. He said, I didn't create you to be Q. Because if you were Q, then Q would be you. And because you know you're not Q, then Q can't be you. Now, you say, Carol, that is, what is this, Dr. Seuss? That's what Donnie told me this week. I was like, no, it's not Dr. Seuss. It's, it's Dr. Father God. And Q is a what? And you is a who? So let's start over. I didn't create you to be Q. I didn't create who to be a what? I didn't create you to be Q. Y'all know how the Q thing came up in our nation too, right? I didn't even know about the Q, Anon, until like this year. Never heard of it. I was like, what is that? Oh, it's a what? <laughs> it's not a who. But see, he didn't create you to be Q. Because you can't be Q because you know Q can't be you. You've met Q and you know Q is not you. Well, who are you then? Well, then the word's like, I got to get the I out of you. I want to put I am in you. So he brought us to the why am I? Because who is not a deep enough question to ask, you must ask why, because that's what they did in the garden. Why is a cosmological question. Why is a philosophical question. A bunch of people, philosophers, have said on why forever. But you can't stop at why am I. There just comes a point when I am is. What happened to Moses when he was initiated by Lord to go rescue an entire generation? What? Who am I? Remember that? And the Lord gets upset with him because he said, I can't do this. And he says, I am, right, has sent thee. What about Jesus when he's going to be arrested and he's, his friend, Judas, is standing there and betrays him. And they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And what does he say? In the correct translation, he does not use he. That was an add-on. He says, I am. And what happens to all the soldiers? They fall down. The greatest identity that a human being can ever have is I am that's impossible no it's not was it Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 is that right what is that Daisy what does that say is that Galatians 2:20? okay I didn't even know but Galatians 2 20 it's no longer what but who so is this bad doctrine? No. No, the, it's not bad doctrine to say, get the I out of you and let I am pervade you. It's not bad doctrine. It is the doctrine. Paul said this 127 times in the epistles, that I may be found in him. Paul was after this reality. This is the... And Jesus is after it so much in John 17... 
which is this great high priestly prayer here at the end of the age, Jesus is saying that they may be what? One. As who is one? We, the, me and the Father. I want you to know this reality. What does I am look like in you? I am has a defined you. No one can define you but the one who made you. Why do you think Darwinian evolution has just inculcated the whole culture? Why? Because they want to get away from an intelligent design. If you can get away from an intelligent design, an intelligent creator, one, or you can say God is dead like Nietzsche did, and you could throw out the, if you could throw him out, you don't have to deal with I am, so now you make your life according to your own idea. And it's led people to nihilism, which basically is this ideology that nothing matters anymore. My life has no purpose and meaning. It's a terrible way to live. Which one do you want? You want purpose and meaning in your life? Let I am define you. Some of the world has got a hold of this and are coming out with their coming out parties. But there's a transfiguration. That's the real coming out. Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. No longer I that live, but Christ in me. I want this reality in me. I'm tired of being defined by somebody else's definition of me. What was the Me Too movement about last year? Everybody's longing for this. Christ in me. Stop putting your narrative over my life. It's called postmodernism. Why? There, there's, there's a healthy thing to that in a way. Stop throwing your narrative onto me. Why? There's only one solution to postmodernism. Postmodern mindset, throwing off the narrative. Don't you superimpose your narrative on me. That's the ideology of postmodernism. That's the simplest way to say it. Don't you put your thing on me. I'm my own person, right? Well, you can do the own individual person or you can do everybody else's narrative person or you can do Christ in me person. I want what my father says. My father in heaven. My relationship with the father. What does he say about me? Because if you go try to live up to everybody else's expectation, you're going to get burned. But if you go try to live up to your own expectation, you're going to get burned. Because you're not meant to be an individual and you're not meant to be a community organizer and a collective person. You were meant to be Christ in me. (laughs) That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the most beautiful gospel. Let him define you. Let him define you and let the great metamorphosis begin. It's time to come out of the chrysalis, church. It's time to let the blood flow through the wings and fly instead of walk. It's time for us to be who we are in the Lord and him to be who he is in us. 
It's time for you to say all that you have, Father, is mine. All that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours, Lord. And in the same breath, everything you have is mine. But wow, get a hold of this revelation in your spirit. Don't let go of this reality. Don't let go of it with your whole entire being. Job got a hold of it. He said in Job 42, 5 or 6, somewhere around there, he said, um, I heard of you, but now my eyes see you. I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. What's the repentance? It's a reorientation to what God's design for Job is. What did the Lord do for him? Double blessing. Your blessing is related to Christ in you. Well, so many of us have been stuck like Chuck. Stuck like Chuck or stuck like a chick. Either way, we've been stuck. It's time for this to end. It is time for you to be in him and him to be in you. It's time for this to all end. It's time for the definition. Listen, your socioeconomic does not define you. Your politic does not define you. You know, I've said this so many times up here, you're not meant to be blue or red, you're a purple. Why? You're a royal family. You're not a Democrat or a Republican. You're a royal. You're not in a party, you're in a family. Let's just throw off parties. Now we can have fun, but, but I don't think those guys are having fun. Let's throw off the legal and the liberal. Let's let I am be in us. It's going to take some, um, it's going to take some courage, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to take all the courage you have because love is the most courageous thing you'll ever do to love and be loved. I receive your love this morning, Father. greatest things I heard about a year and a half ago is when my brother here, Stephen, writes me, Isaiah 43, 21, Carol. You know what I realized about me? I was made to praise him. Tears are pouring out of my eyes because I love my brother. I have since, mostly since I met him. I love him. When he communicated that text across to me, I knew that something was happening to him. He wasn't created to be a rock star, even though he might could have been. <laughs> he tried. <laughs> Germany, the big thing, it was awesome. You guys are awesome. No, I was made to praise him. I was made to praise Him. What are you made for?
ask him. And he'll tell you. So ask of me and I'll tell you. Ask him right now. Ask him to define your life right now. Put the thread together of what's been going on in your life. Put it together. And let heaven come to earth. Come on. Let heaven come to earth. I get this privilege because I'm in this position. So many people will come up to me because they know, I guess, they can tell me. Because I'm going to celebrate you. Carol, do you know what he said about me? <laughs> I love it, man. I'm like, yes! Pete Lacker, yes. I believe. I believe what he says about you. When he told me a couple of weeks ago, you open your heart up. I believe you. community where we can believe who each other really are. You're unique. Designed by the Father. He created you for a very particular purpose. No more plus negative, but plus plus now. Father, glorify me so that I may glorify you. Can you say that? I... I've struggled with that over the last month. Father, glorify yourself in me so that I may give glory to you. Let the glory shine forth. Come on. Don't let the little piece of bread in the boat define you. The little leaven leavens the whole lump. Receive your testimony, Lord, of me. Receive who you say that I am.
Uh, what is, when we hear the word PR, what do you what do you hear when you hear the word or the, when I say PR, what do you hear? Public relations. When I hear PR now, I hear perception has just come reality. What's that? You hear that too? Yes, ma'am. When we see him, what? Because we will see him as he is. When you see him, you will be what? Like him. Because you will see him as he is. That's <laughs> so awesome. Your life will have to move out of perception into reality. This is a great challenge for all of us. You'll feel uncomfortable sometimes. Maybe not. Maybe you're beyond that. Or maybe you'll feel uncomfortable. I don't know. But when you come out with who he is in you. But you got to let him come out. 
You do. You, you have to, and you're going to have to let him come out the way he is and you, wherever you go. You're going to have to let this reality inform. It may inform where you live. It may inform what you do with your money. It may inform what you do with your time. It may inform basically everything that's going on in your life. Your enemy is real quick to tell you how you'll never amount to anything and bring the guilt up of your past and tell you all these things. That's his whole thing. But you've got to believe, like Janie's saying, who your father says you are. Some of us that are friends and loved, we can see in part, but we can't see really. We can't really know who he says that you are. Only he really knows. I tell you, so many times when I felt backed into a corner about who I am, it feels like you get backed into a corner. And you want to fight, and you can feel the anger coming off, or you can feel the fear. I might as well just go back to my old way. And the faults can come out of you, or they can come to you. Someone's pointing a finger at you. You're pointing a finger at yourself. And all the time, if you just get quiet and wait, the Father's saying something completely different. Jesus says to the Pharisees, remember, he says, I testify of my Father. You know neither me nor my Father. My whole life is a testimony of him. He says to Philip, Show us the Father, Philip says. He says, if you've seen me, you've what? Can you imagine a reality that that's why Jesus went to the cross was to expose himself through you? Could you really say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? This day is upon us. This is the kingdom of God at hand. This is the kingdom of heaven being realized. There's no more disconnect between us and the Father. Lord, bless our offering this morning and our giving this morning. And I pray you bless your people this morning as you give. In Jesus' name, amen. It's all.
Well, we've just come out of a, a season, a history uh, past with Event Horizon. We just did a seven-part series off the back of Starlink, seven-part series in Starlink, seven-part series in Event Horizon. Event Horizon being, you know, the point of no return. And so we've, we've, we've come up to the place of there's a point of no return. And, and now that we're here... I've been praying this week because I, well, I'll tell you what happened is I was seeking the Lord the other day and I said, Lord, where are you taking us now? Uh, if I could have like an understanding of what is going on in our ministry. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, you're going to start a new series called Transfiguration AD. And I, and I said, okay, I don't, you know, I don't understand that necessarily, which I never really do about where we're headed, but we're going to go through a series post-event horizon into Transfiguration AD, and what we're going to attempt to do this morning is it's going to be by way of introduction and introduce some material, and then we're going to spend a little bit of a season on this, I don't know how long, with the Lord concerning uh, Transfiguration and AD. Now, AD, we're going to use it as an acronym for Ascension and Descension. And so it's, it's not like AD after Adam, how do you say it? Okay, there. <laughs> AD after, they say after the Lord rose from the dead. It is a little bit of play on words, but it's Ascension and Descension. And I'm going to introduce just a couple concepts and then I asked Tom McManus, he's going to come up with me this morning. We're going to do a little dialogue together. And before he comes up, I want to introduce some of this material. And then we're going to come up and we're going to have a dialogue on the stage concerning ascension and descension. Let's turn in Matthew. Let's go to Matthew's gospel. And Matthew 17. So six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother, of, the brother of James, and he led them privately up to a high mountain. So he's got, he's got Pete, and he's got James and John, the sons of thunder, up into a high mountain. Many scholars believe, and I'm, 
make a plug here that that high mountain was Mount Hermon. And I, I believe that personally. And as we go along, we're going to be unpacking something about Mount Hermon or this Mount of Transfiguration. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And then Moses and Elijah also appeared before them, talking with him. And so Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> I, I would say, <laughs> if you want, hey, if it's okay with you, I know how to build. It's sort of an allusion to Caesarea Philippi, right? Remember this is a little bit earlier. You got to know your Bible. In Caesarea Philippi, Jesus will say about to Pete, he'll say, Peter, upon this rock, what? And uh, gates of hell will what? Not prevail. This happened right before this. I'll make you three shelters. I heard what you said. Now, what it was was Peter's revelation, right? What is Peter's revelation of Jesus? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Flesh and blood. You're myopia. Everybody else is myopia. It didn't reveal this to you. Only my Father's revelation came into you and revealed this to you. You have had a connection with him because I know you're a fisherman. I'm a carpenter. He had, he had to have a revelation from the Father. Y'all hear that? Do you hear what's going on? The Father had to reveal this to Peter. Because, and, and this is why entry on this is so important, is because, and why so many people scatter on the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven doctrine or ideology, is because so many people don't have a revelation of the Father. They either like take the Son, a lot of them will take the Son, some of the church will take the Son and the Holy Spirit. We call that maybe the charismatic renewal. Or the, four way, uh, the fourth waivers, or the third waivers, or we, we talk about the prophetic and the charismatic that's happened and the healing crusades. Like I could go all into it, right? And they'll take the, so you got a lot that'll take the Son, you got even less that'll take the Son and the Holy Ghost. I don't wanna deal with the Father. <laughs> he might take me to the woodshed, or maybe he won't, maybe he's easy peasy. I don't want to deal with the Father. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about, about your own daddy? I know about mine. If I'm out of order, I don't necessarily want to go talk to daddy. <laughs> if you've had a bad relationship with daddy, it could be really bad. If you had a good relationship with daddy, and he, my dad did this for me a lot, he disciplined me, set me on his lap, hold me, tell me he loves me. If your daddy wasn't treating you right, 
Or, and there's always a breakdown in the dad. Hebrews says that, that, that about our personal dads. No matter how good they could be, they can never be what the father is. Are you listening to me? Because there's so many in the Christian church that can embrace Jesus. They do. They, they can, they'll do communion. They'll sing the cross narrative. They'll do the whole thing of the cross. You say something about bringing in the gifts. Uh-uh. Cessationism. We'll take Jesus, but we're not going to take anybody leading us. Holy Spirit. But then, man, when you start to talk about the Father... Woo, you pared the thing down even more. Well, Peter was sort of like a noble guy in a sense and a little bit crazy and a little bit wild. He was like, he keeps blundering through it, but he's like, I got to know. Philip's like, if we could just see him. Now, I just want to say this. I hope y'all know this, but here we are Trinitarian, so this is not a Jesus-only thing going on here. Let's just say that, doctrinally speaking. I just want to be clear about that. Earlier on in Illusion, Matthew, I believe it is 3, 17, somewhere right there. Jesus is going to be baptized in the Jordan by John. A dove appears and lights down on him, and a voice speaks from heaven. If you ever have an issue with Trinitarian doctrine, just look at that passage. Holy Spirit lights on a man named Jesus, and another voice, the Father, speaks from heaven, right? There's your Trinitarian doctrine. Boom! It's wrapped up. It's wrapped up here again. And Matthew chapter 17. What are you saying, Carol? My thesis to start out with is many of us have heard about Jesus. Some of us, even more, have said, I'll listen to you, Holy Spirit. But in this end time, there will be a revelation of the greatness of the Father. Jesus longs for us to know the Father. Jesus wants us restored to the Father. So, Jesus is transfigured, and Jesus is transfigured between two men. Moses and Elijah. Now, if you take time this morning or th this evening, and I recommend you take time with this, but if you study Exodus chapter 24, and then later on you'll study, I believe it, it might be 1 Kings 18, it's where Elijah's taken up in a chariot. And I, if I'm off on that, yell it. But if you study these passages, at the exact same time Jesus is transfigured, those things took place as well. If I stretched your thinking, good. But while Moses was receiving the tabernacle instructions and Elijah's being moved in a chariot, Jesus is actually being transfigured. Because God, our Father, dwells outside of space-time. It's actually in Exodus 24, you'll see the exact same occurrences. After six days, on the seventh day, Moses goes up. 
You'll see a bright cloud there. You'll see radiant white light. You'll see all the same signs there. They're there with Moses as they are with Elijah, as they are with Jesus in the transfiguration. Because the Father dwells outside of this space-time continuum that we're in, the X, Y, Z, T. And of course, Peter wants to go for construction because he realizes, I'm a good constructor. I have a revelation. And now that I have a revelation, it's time for me to build something. God knows I know what that feels like. And the Lord is displaying in front of us that he's after something else. He's not after temples made with man's hands. He said, I don't dwell in temples made with man's hands. Later on, the Pharisees are going to talk about this. They're going to say, he said, tear it down. Tear the whole temple down. I'll raise it up in three days. What was he speaking of? His body. I mean, we that have been sent by God, and I'm one of them. I've been sent by the Father to preach. We that have been sent by God, especially in this last hour, cannot preach a message related to temples made with man's hands. That construction, that developmental process is inferior to glorified humanity. The Lord said, pioneer for the glorification of man. God is displayed in front of us a transfiguration. This is the great revelation, is the transfiguration. Jesus is displaying to the powers of the air on Mount Hermon. Sure, your time, guys, and what you were doing, this goes back to Genesis 6, 1 through 4 with the Nephilim. This is going to be up. We're going to get into this. You, the powers of the air, are coming down. God will have sons and daughters. He will completely inculcate with his kingdom and literally transform them from the inside out. This won't be transgenderism. They're getting it wrong in the body. This is going to be in the soul. I'm going to transfigure the soul. My spirit that has went into man is going to sanctify man and make man like me. And man and woman are going to so look like me that one day, so it's called the restoration of all things. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. And Jesus is retained in the heavens until the restoration of all things. I'm going to restore my kingdom within man. Luke chapter 7. And the kingdom of God is what? Say it. Within you. Where is the kingdom? Within you. I wear these shoes because Teva means God made. We don't want to dwell in temples made with man's design and man's hand anymore. I don't want the orientation of my life or your life to be designed by what I can, what, cue, do. I want my orientation to be according to the Father and what he says. And Jesus will be here transfigured, and this is what the Lord says. Listen, the greatest revelation to the human heart is this. You are my beloved son. All for the glory to get that. 
When God's love so shines in us, that the love comes in us and goes back to him. All that there would be an uninterrupted flow of love between us and the Father. No more to be separated. No more to be violated. No more. No more to be alienated. No, to be celebrated. All the longing to celebration of the Father. Because we're coming home. Corey Asbury's singing that song right now. There's a homecoming. There's a homecoming coming home to us right now. This is my dear son. He's my beloved. Listen to him. Hear what he's saying. I take great. I take so much delight. You ever been delighted upon by someone? Oh, man. You ever had someone just smile at you and just like you for no reason at all? The delight just pours down over your whole entire being. Have you ever experienced delight? My kids were talking about this. Lydia was talking about this on, this weekend in the car. She was saying, you know, you ever been to a place but it feels like a person? I was like, yeah, I, I think I know what you're saying. Describe it. She started describing this place. I said, I felt that same thing there. I, you remember when you felt that really good feeling? But it seemed like a person was there, not just you were in a place. Anybody? I mean... It took us like a few times going around this in our family to figure out what Lydia was talking about. But she said it's almost like a place has its own personification. She didn't use that words. But it's like there's a person. It's like an experience of a person. And my baby's like saying this and I'm like listening to my baby. I'm like, oh, Lydia, I know what you're saying. You, you know, because we can be in homes and the home doesn't, it can feel like you're high and dry sometimes, like you're, you know, anybody ever felt that in a place? The kid said, you know, when we went to Charleston recently and I said, yeah, that is not like a person in a place. And they were right, because it was like our skin, our hair was standing up on end there for all my whole family. I was like, let's get out of this place. It don't feel like a person. It feels like Hell. That's how it felt to us. I'm not saying it has to feel that way to you, but it did to us. Walking around on dead men's graves that built a whole city off of slavery, it just was like, Gah! like I wanted to take a bulldozer or some unearth machine and tear the whole city down. I mean, I was ready. If I had permission, and maybe one day we will, I'm going to dig the whole city up. And we're going to put it and burn the whole city in refuse. The whole city. Did I just say that? <laughs> I just said that. I'm not an arsonist. I don't like it. I want the personhood of Jesus to pervade a culture. I want the personhood to be in the place and not be out of the place. The disciples heard this and they were overwhelmed with fear and threw themselves down on the ground. Jesus came up to them and touched them and says, get up. Well, I like the way he talks sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, you're the commander. Are you going to tell me what to do? 
Yeah. I'll tell you what to do. Get up. <laughs> and he says, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw Jesus alone. And they're coming down the mountain. Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then did the experts of the law say Elijah must come first? And he answered, Elijah does indeed come first and will restore all things. The presence of God through the prophet of God must come first. We, I've been talking with you about this, and if you haven't heard this, go back into our Event Horizon series and listen to this. But the Lord is not, I had this transformation happen to me. He's like, I don't want you to do John's ministry anymore, plus negative. I was like, everybody says, the friend of the bridegroom, everybody says that guy's amazing. You even said that guy's amazing. John says this, John 3.30 said, he must increase, I must what? That's plus negative. Jesus told me and tells us in the word, he's not John. John's pointing at Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. <laughs> then we need this revelation. Jesus is plus plus. What does he say? Father, glorify me so that I might glorify you. That sounds different than John's message. John's is plus negative. Jesus is plus plus. What must come first, Jesus says, plus negative. But that's not the revelation of this transfiguration. Don't talk about this till I'm raised from the dead. That revelation, as important as it has been to the church, will not carry us into the future. I mean, can I get an amen on that one? Thank you. We need a revelation of Jesus as he is in relationship to the Father. Jesus is going to go suffer at the hands. And then they knew that he was talking about John the Baptist. Now, here's my introduction. And Tom, if you want to come forward, we'll sit down here together. This is my introduction. Jesus says this concerning John. Jesus said, there is no prophet that is greater than the prophet born of women than who? But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is what? Greater. He that's least, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater. This is the plus plus. So what I, I want to do um, with Tom this morning, because the words give him a lot on the kingdom of heaven. It's really special. But what I asked him to do this morning is, uh, which if you want to do this, is um, share your heart. Because I love his heart. Because I've got to spend time with him. I live right next to him. Well, I actually live in his house. <laughs> in Janie's house. Because they've been really sweet to us. And they let us live in their home. And they, this man is not proclaiming something that he does not, him and his wife do not live out. They live out this reality. And therefore, it's real to them. And that's why I believe i like for you here, for them to hear your heart concerning the kingdom of heaven. Go ahead. Amen.
Um, it's good for us to be here. Uh, that's from the transfigured. Uh, I have been carrying around a word concerning the kingdom of heaven. And uh, Jesus says to the disciples, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples say, yeah, I, why do you keep on speaking in parables? And Jesus says that um, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. What passage is that? That's um, Matthew 13. 13. Okay, Matthew 13, 13. So it's interesting that when we're talking about the myopia, mm -hmm. uh, about not seeing, that God is, is going to bring revelation to the body of Christ to see differently. Mm -hmm. The Lord says that we should ask for ISOB that we might see, meaning that we only see. You know, the Laodicean church thought they were doing pretty good, but he would call them lukewarm, and he was about to spit them out of his mouth. That really means something. You should, we should understand where you land after he spits them out, a believer who is not ready for the coming of the Lord. There is a prophetic word arising in terms of the understanding of the parables and what the kingdom of heaven is that will prepare the body of Christ to be ready to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. It will be a people that are holy and pure because they understand that God will be judging their hearts, not their outward appearance. And right now, the doctrines of men have blinded us from the reality of what Jesus had said. There'll be coming an understanding of the parables that will give clarity to how we should prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. Then the glory, we can behold God's glory because we, are, we won't be defiled with the sin and uh, unforgiveness and pride and arrogance in our heart. This is a very exciting time. And I believe that this word has been something that the Lord has uh, put in my heart over years, ten uh, over a decade, and where uh, I actually experienced the outer darkness. I could tell you about that, but the reality of outer darkness was something that the Lord said, this is something that you'll experience if you don't repent. And I said, what? <laughs> and the Lord began to give revelation of how he was going to judge us and what his parameters is. And it's quite easy. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if we repent, not, it doesn't mean that we have to run like chickens with our heads cut off and do all these miraculous things, although we will when we, are, when we behold this glory. But we, there is a... There is a there is an understanding of 
of why we need to repent and the consequences of not repenting. And the prophetic word right within the body of Christ now is for the people of God to repent or suffer the consequences. There's not a theology for that on a Sunday sermon, uh, hardly. Can you, um, sorry. Yes. Can you, can you say to them what you said to me about Arminian and Calvinistic doctrine and the differences in that? Yeah. Um, Actually, one way I can do that is to give you a revelation of one of the parables and what they mean so that you will have eyes to see differently that you have maybe not seen before, or at least I haven't. I I must say that this has been sort of like a sort of, uh, for me, God's given me understanding uh, and it's caused a deconstruction uh, so that I can put truth in there. Do you understand what I mean? Th- this is part of the chrysalis where the old is going and there's this new coming forth, uh, a new. So let me just do this. Let me, um, uh, let me just read this parable, which is found in Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. This is telling what the mystery of the kingdom of heaven is like. So the parables are giving us a hint of what the mystery of the kingdom of heaven is is like. So he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him since he was not able to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, They were greatly distressed and went and told his master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of your debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So this is obviously Jesus talking and giving a parable. Now what does this mean? Who is the man who has been forgiven much? Us. Who is the man that's been forgiven much? What is that symbolic? It's us. It's believers who call upon the name, who have a great debt. We had a great debt. We called upon the name of the Lord. 
and our sins were forgiven. All our debts washed clean, and we were set free. Why? Because we called upon him, please have mercy upon us, that we might be free. Born-again believers. Now that one who's been forgiven much, what does he do? Somebody owes him small debt. And what does he do to that person who asked him to please have mercy on him? No, no. You're going to jail. Sends him to jail. The master, who has forgiven the servant, us, comes and holds that servant to account. What is that? Yes, it is unforgiveness. What place is that? I would suggest to you that when we meet Jesus again at the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be held account of those things we have done in the body, both good and bad. The next scripture begins with, therefore we tremble. We should tremble because we are going to be held account. Now, what does the master do? Jesus is telling this story. He says that the master is angry. Bind up that servant. Cast him into jail until his debts are paid. Then he says, Jesus, in the same way, my father will judge those who do not Forgive from the heart. Not outward. God's not looking at our outward appearance. He's looking at our heart. So there is a place, a prison, that we will pay our debts. Does that sound right? Is that scripturally sound? Well, Jesus says, if you do not forgive your brother, you will not be forgiven. How do we understand that? Maybe we don't understand it. And I would suggest to you, that the doctrines of men do not allow us to understand that. And in the past, there has been a temporary punishment that uh, the Catholic Church, for instance, calls it perver- uh, purgatory, but they have defiled the understanding of it to make us blind. The reformers came along and said that was a bad doctrine, we're going to throw that out altogether, and eliminated an understanding of a temporary punishment. By the way, that prison is not the lake of fire, which is eternal. It's until that debt is paid. It's a temporary place. Now, if you've never heard of this before, that's, that's why this is a new revelation. This is a new understanding. We have to lay hold. If Jesus said, this is the way it's going to be until your debt is paid off and then you're released, then we have to understand that. We have to, what do, do we need ISOP? Yes. Do we need revelation? A revelation is something that we haven't understood before. Do you understand? If you want to hear the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, that's not revelation. Revelation is understanding something that we haven't understood before and making it a place. This word of Jesus, this parable, is something we need to see, something that we need to hear. Now, an interesting thing about if you, when Jesus says about the parables that if you see and if you hear, you would understand and you would turn to me and I would heal you. This parable will cause us to repent of unforgiveness. 
Unforgiveness is not allowed. Mm. Now, wait, that doesn't make sense. He forgave me all my sins. I have unforgiveness towards somebody. And then he says, you're going to have to pay for your sins. That's what Jesus says. Um, so I just want to address something here because I don't know if you experience this in yourself listening to Tom, but I just want, maybe it's the elephant in the room. I don't know. Sometimes when we hear something like what Tom is saying, and this is what I meant about taking Jesus, then taking the Holy Spirit, but the father seems like maybe I don't want to deal with him. Sometimes we can recoil in our seat, feel the sweat dripping off the edges of our face, thinking that this father's not playing around with me. And what can happen in our mind is, and this is what Tom's getting at, I believe, is we've rejected this somewhat because we've been so hurt and wounded. So many people, I mean, we're living in a generation of fatherlessness like never before. People in this room, some of you, I know some of your situations with your daddies, and it's so painful and so hurtful to, to even get into talking about the father like this. It's just like, uh-uh, don't, mm -mm, don't go there. I can't deal with that. Now, I'm not saying that you deal with this. I can say that I have. And I can say that in myself, I might be like, no, please don't tell me that. And, and Jesus doesn't tell us this like Tom saying, he wants to bring us in, the Lord is wanting to bring us into good fellowship with the Father. In my family, as a dad, if my children, and I've watched this, if they get offended with me, or they get offended with each other, if I don't bring discipline and correction to them, they will start to view me as unjust. And in the unjustness of my relationship with my children, it separates me from them. Even if I don't want to be separated from them, even if I want to be close to them. But if my children start to turn against each other, and one says, this one has done me wrong, either by unforgiveness or an assault, they perpetrated the thing. And I sit back and I do nothing. My child will hold up their finger to me and say, see, my daddy is unjust. My wife and I are raising six kids, and it is no easy thing to do, those of you that have raised children. But if I ignore them, or if I become harsh with them and I don't give them right judgment that is according to what the issue is and I don't address it, or if I address it wrongly and harshly, I can dismiss it, dismiss it completely. Or I can overly address it harshly and critically. But I can get in the middle of it with them and say, let's work this out. Because if that infraction is not worked out, it's going to disconnect the whole family. And I believe that that's where the heart of Tom comes in. I experience his heart because he's got a beautiful heart. I, I see him. Molly Ander the other day, he got up on Tom's cushion and went into the back of his thing. And I said, Leander, get down. Now, I don't do that. Leander goes right and does it again. And Tom said... Leander, what did your daddy tell you to do? Leander got down. 
Well, Andrew backed up a command authority in my family, which I appreciate, by the way. But he wasn't mean to him. He just told him the truth. This way, this is how the father is. The father wants connection. Actually, he longs for connection more than anything. But our offenses, especially unforgiveness, is a travesty because it disconnects us from him. Mike Bickle says it this way, and I love this about Mike. He says, the Lord wants to remove whatever hinders love. He's wanting to take out that which hinders love because an offense in the human soul is a hindrance to relationship. The Father seeks relationship with us. But if we persist in not coming to truth, like Tom is telling us, we disconnect ourselves from the Father. I don't know how many times I could tell you this as a daddy, that I've had to discipline my children just so I could get back in the right relationship with them. And they could interpret that as daddy doesn't like me. And the Lord said this to me before all this started to happen. He says, you want affliction or affection? That's a right. That's something you can write down. Do you want affliction or affection? And I'm like, uh, I crave affection. I'm like an affection junkie now. I love to be loved. Uh, Stephen's mother said that. Melinda said that a couple weeks ago. She says, I love love, and I love to be loved. And I was like, I love you, Melinda. I double love you. But in that, the infraction has to be dealt with. Let me say one thing, too, because in Tom's display of this power, parable of unforgiveness, we were talking about this yesterday, working. Well, I was watching him do some stuff the day before, Friday. This has occurred to me because... Jesus, when he begins the parabolic teaching, he'll start it out with the parable of the sower. He tells that story, right? And y'all have all read that. Because you can't understand forgiveness without giving. Giving and forgiving go hand in hand. Let me explain. Because the Father will challenge you to give. Then... In your giving, you may be mistreated. Has this happened to anybody? Have you ever gave time to someone and they mistreated you for it? Have you ever given your money to someone else and they paid you no attention? Or I had someone get mad at me because I, I was sending them money, but I didn't send it through the correct form to them. Man, here's you a couple thousand dollars. I love you. You didn't send it through PayPal. I was like, and the Lord's like, you going to let that bother you and stop giving to them? I was like, nope. Well, I mean, what would we say? Stop giving to them, right? Father says, don't stop. We don't know. But see, giving actually elevates you to another place of being challenged in forgiveness. Because the Lord, is, the Father, is cleaning our hearts up like Tom's talking about. Think about the greatest gift, John 3.16. God gave. His only son for us. And he would forgive us like Tom's getting at. The Lord's not going to crucify the Lord all over again, right? That's right. He's not going to crucify him again. He's already finished what he's done, and it's done. Now, 
with this in mind, when you feel, if you feel or experience the recoil. Any of you ever said, I, I don't understand why the Lord's dealing with this with me again? Have any of you felt like, I'm so tired of him dealing with this? I mean, I thought I was farther down the road. Anybody ever dealt with Oh, thank you. Thank you for all the honest people in the room, right? I mean, and the words like puts his finger on something again and someone does you wrong and the next thing you know, this stuff spews out of our mouth and then you realize something's wrong with me. You can't like say that the resentment is right. You can't tell yourself that you were justified and have an excuse because you were, you blew hot at someone when they did you wrong or you tensed up or you got mad. You can't make an excuse for that. That result of that is the fruit of unforgiveness that Tom is saying, and the Word of God says, is very easy. Repent. What is repent? Reorient yourself to a Father who loves you and make things right. It's really simple. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and what? Cleanse you of some unrighteousness. It says all, doesn't it? Yeah. So the Lord is into a cleansing and a healing. Yeah. And he's restorative. And we want to think that this happens in some platform. It is happening in your families every day. It's happening in our homes. It's happening with our friends. It's everywhere around us. God is offering us an opportunity. And one other thing, Tom experienced outer darkness, which he shared with me. Y'all saw me that I spent three to four years in just all black. I never experienced the discipline of a father like that, that what's happened over the last four years. I thought I was going to lose my way. It was so painful and so hard to go through. And it wasn't until most of that was complete that we could even start the collider. Because the Lord was like, we can't even begin really. God had wanted to bring discipline. I say this in my own life. I was going through bouts of literally losing it, sobbing in tears over my sin, my, the iniquity in my human heart, the shame that had covered me from the fall. My subconscious broken until God became. I said, Lord, I did everything you told me, and now you bring me into discipline. You know, that would be offensive to many people. But Father, I obeyed you. I didn't disobey you. And now my situation's got worse. I came to you and now, and, and as a good father, he's like, no, 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 dear child, you don't know. I'm actually giving you the best. I remember I was standing in the shower. And he said a man would empty all the gold. If he was a trillionaire, he'd empty everything to get the attention I'm putting on your life right now. I'm giving you the most refined, in-depth training I can give to a human being right now. I'm going to clean you up, son. I'm going to cleanse you. You asked me for it. Unforgiveness, hatred, anger, selfishness, pride manifesting itself. It's almost like the most... Horrible thing to see. This is me. This is me as putting in the leadership of the church for whatever reason I do not know. Being processed by God. I said, what are you doing? He said, 
I'm fracking your tricep core. I was like, uh, I didn't know there were three levels of consciousness. <laughs> I got to dig in and frack out. I'm going to horizontal, I'm going to change the drilling operation and go in and crack open your consciousness and break it open so I can cleanse it and make it white. I want to take your sins that are as crimson. And I want to wash them whiter than snow. Oh, man, that the kingdom of God would come upon us like this. Now I tell you of a truth. Now I testify before you that the greatest thing you could ever do is come to the Father. The greatest thing you could ever do is let him wash, deeply immerse himself into your brokenness and bring healing and restoration. And that you would allow all the excuses and everything to be placed at the feet of the cross and come up clearly with him. And let's have a clear reality with the Father. One thing, because I know we're getting short on time, just one other thing I, I wanted Tom to address, because he said this to me, and I, I feel like it's very valuable concerning the doctrine of men. Could you just say, like, and, then, and we're going to close it, Stephen, we'll get ready to close, but could you just give why the Arminian doctrine and the Reformed doctrine or the Calvinistic doctrine, and if this is over your head, I don't think, I think it might be sometimes, but please hear him out on this because I think it really matters. How that so, those two doctrines have their own problem. Right. Um, you know, structurally, we don't see certain things the way they are. In the scripture, hell, we think, is the lake of fire. They're separate. Hell, Gehenna, is separate than the lake of fire. These are structurally, I mean, I can prove this to you. I can teach you. You have to see in a different way. But if you think they're the same thing, then we're not going to understand what Jesus is saying. There's two judgments. One at the beginning of the uh, millennial reign, the judgment seat of Christ, which determines who gets into the millennial reign, millennial reign of believers, and who doesn't. And... At the end of the millennial reign is the great white throne judgment. And then whoever's name's in the book of life proceeds with that. I would suggest that when we believe by faith in Jesus, we get an inheritance of eternal life. And our name gets put in the book of life in the great white throne judgment. And we receive eternal life. It's an inheritance that cannot be lost. And yet, there's other inheritances that we can lose by what we do or don't do. So, as we were talking earlier, Calvinism believes that, th that once you are saved, you cannot lose your salvation. They have it partially true because we cannot lose eternal life. That's been given to us, not by works, lest any man can boast. But there are punishments that can happen to us. Unforgiveness is one of these things. I should suggest that, uh, and that's a temporary, and that's through an age. Uh, there's also outer darkness, we can get into this, and hell, which is not the lake of fire. So there can be punishment for believers for not being ready. That's what the fear of the Lord is all about. That's what we should tremble about, because we can't repent once we die. We're going to be judged before God. And it's easy as repenting of all our sins, of all the unbelief. You mean the guy who stole 20000 from me? Yeah. You mean the priest that molested me? Yes. 
to get. You mean the people in the fifth grade who said all those things about me? Release. Release. Forgive. Forgive. When God tells us to forgive, that's the best thing that we can do. You know how it harbors bitterness, rage, shame. And Lord says, you give that to me. And I'll let your, my spirit come in and restore you and heal you. So when he's setting his righteous judgments, he knows what he's doing. Healing will come when we forgive. That's amazing. So, on one hand, we say, Calvinist says you have an inheritance that can be lost, but there's no punishment. They miss it because there is punishment. There's, that's why we need to fear the Lord. On the other hand, Armenian says that the judgment that you face will be the lake of fire. And that's not true. That's reserved for unbelievers, not believers. Will there be a trying in everything that is wood, say, hay, and stubble? Will it burn in, after the judgment seat of Christ? Yes. But that fire is not to condemn us. That is to purify us so that when we come out the end, at the end of the thousand-year rent, there will be a purity, and we'll be able to fellowship with God. And this is how God is restoring his people, and this is how desires to move in us and we want to be like Isaiah so when the glory comes what was the first thing that Isaiah says he says whoa I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips that's his first reaction when the glory of God is when he beholds the glory of God that is sin obviously it comes right up the seraphim took a hot coal and put it on his lips he didn't run. That's being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is standing and allowing God to work in him. Lord, my heart is so wicked. I can't, I can't even stand. I can't control. I'm, I'm enraging right now. Let me put the hot coal on. Isaiah allows the hot coal of the Lord. The Lord says, I have some things to do. I have some things to say. Who shall I send? And Isaiah says, send me. So the glory of the Lord is going to be coming in our midst, and we need not run away from God, but let the hot coal be on us. He'll be revealing those unforgivenesses, those little things in us that are prideful, arrogance, and sexual immorality, and all those things. And he wants to say, let me in. Because I stand at the door and knock. Anybody who hears my voice, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Open up the door. Behold the glory of God. You are, we are going to be perfected because we are his. Let it happen now. Let it happen by the blood that is poured out for the forgiveness of all our sins. David said, test me, try me, see if there's any unclean in me. So this is an invitation. This is where... God is moving. These are new things to see and hear. And the Lord is, is, is revealing, giving revelation. We would be ready for his coming. As John the Baptist, even before the coming of Jesus, says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.
Let's stand together. As we begin to close, one of the things I want to confess this myself. I feel like I need to confess my sin. One of the things that's been really hard for me in my life that has really got at me I was sharing this with Tom and he really he preached the gospel to me the other night and he didn't know what I was going through but it's like when you're you know that all your activity that you give is to regard and to give all the love you can to someone else and then to have that person tell you how many ways you've come up short and to feel like that I've done all that I know to do to love. But in all the love that I've brought forth, it's not good enough. I tell you, it's been really hard for me to deal with that. Now, I've found that guy in there necessarily doesn't come out with a pretty guy. I mean, a, a nice guy. It hurts to know that you come up short when you've put everything you can for someone else. I won't confess mine before the Father that I don't want that if that is said against me, I don't want to respond in a way that is anything other than, Lord, you decide. You know, there's nothing more I can say. I don't need to say anything because it's before you. Forgive me, Father. And Peter, it says that. It said, it said, what thank you that a man, if another one speaks well of you, that that's anything before the Father. He said, but when someone reviles you or says something bad about you and you don't respond in like kind, that is great to the Father. That he actually sees that more and that blesses the Father. Lord, forgive me. I want it out, man. I want the whole thing clean. I want to look like you, Jesus. You know, if you're dealing with things and you feel like you're, you don't know why you're on edge or you treat someone wrong or whatever and you're trying to figure it out and you just can't figure it out, you feel like you're pointing fingers at other people and things like that, just come off with it before the Father. Let Him heal you. God can so cleanse us that all that pours out of us is the love of God. This is possible. This is so possible that whatever comes at you can't affect you anymore because you're so in the love of the Father. And the Father's in you so much so that Jesus at the cross while they're crucifying him can say, Father, forgive them. What? I don't need you to understand what they're doing. I don't need to let them know what they're doing to me. Forgive them for they don't even know what they're doing. Oh, that we would know this reality this morning. Jesus, have your way with us. Have this your way with us because that's what 
He didn't want us to be uptight about this and be fault-finding and pointing fingers at ourselves or at others, holding ourselves in guilt and in shame anymore. He meant for us to be free in you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This message that the Lord revealed, it ran a whole bunch of people off. It ran them off into every corner. And I tell you of a truth from the Lord, it's the greatest message you'll ever hear. I mean, come to Him. Come to Him. His yoke is easy. His burden truly is light. Come to Him. Because yes, there will be a judgment seat of Christ, but come to the judgment seat one day and receive the reward. When the Lord comes, when the Lord comes down and He reviews your life and looks at your whole internal DNA, RNA, your whole entire structure of your soul, and He says, I don't see wood, hay, and stubble. I see gold and silver and precious stones on you. And the reward of the Lord comes. And you sit under the reward of the Lord. Get real about this now. Let's get real. All right, let's um, come and everybody for communion, and we'll take communion together as a family.
the moon Wave after wave upon my shores Trample in dust Cut away all the ways Not of you, oh, Judah's liar This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me.